Yes, our Christmas movie is Home Alone. If you haven't seen the movie, let me give you a brief recap of what it is. It's about Kevin McAllister, a boy who has a family. He has his mom and dad and two brothers and two sisters. And as you can imagine, being the youngest in the family that large, that he was picked on quite a bit and that they teased him. And in fact, especially the night before they take this big trip to Paris with another part of their extended family, he is particularly teased and belittled and ignored. And he is fed up with his family. In fact, when his mom punishes him and sends him off to bed early, he says, I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. And that's how he feels about his family. In fact, he says to his mom, he says that he wishes that he didn't have a family that they all just went away, and she tells him to be careful what you wish for. Because in the morning, frantically, because the alarm clock didn't go off, the whole family rushes to get to the airport, and Kevin wakes up because he's been up in the attic all by himself, and he comes downstairs to find out that his family is gone. Every single one of them. And so the movie is about how his mom and his family, especially his mom, is trying to get back to find him and tell him everything's going to be okay. But there are also some humorous parts of the movie where uh, Merv and Harry are these uh, bandits, the wet bandits like to call themselves, robbers, thieves, whatever. They're trying to go through the neighborhood and rob all the houses. And so part of the movie is the antics of these guys going through Kevin's house as he puts all these booby traps there. And so if you've seen the movie, you get to see them step on the nail. That's why you don't go barefoot. And all these other things, hair gets torched, hand gets burnt, all these fun things that happen at Christmas when you go to someone's house when you're not supposed to be there. But anyway, that's sort of the humor and the story. But the story is really about family and about reconciliation with family. In fact, Kevin has an unlikely friend in Old Man Marley. Uh, the neighborhood kids thinks he's a murderer, that he's buried and that he's killed his family and put him in the freezer, and that's why he's always walking around with the shovel in his hand. But Kevin and Old Man Marley kind of become friends, and especially a moment when they are at church. It's Christmas Eve, and there's going to be a midnight Christmas Eve service. The choir is practicing in the early evening for that service, and that's where... Kevin and Old Man Marley have a conversation. And, and Old Man Marley tells him that he's there early to see his granddaughter. And Kevin asks, why are you here now? And he says, because I'm not welcome. And Kevin asks, you're not welcome at church? And he says, no, you're always welcome at church. And so I like that line. So remember that, you're always welcome at church. Even Home Alone tells you that. He says, no, you're always welcome at church. He wasn't welcome with his family. He was estranged from his son. His son wouldn't talk to him. His son wouldn't let him see his granddaughter. And the only way he could see her was to come for the practice. And so even Kevin has some words of wisdom for him. And why haven't you talked? Well, I'm afraid he won't talk to me. Well, you know, he tells him you haven't even tried. So even Kevin encourages him to reach out to his son and see what happens. Well, in the end, old man Marley does reach out to his son. On Christmas morning, his son comes over. Kevin looks out the window and sees him hugging his granddaughter. A family reunion, a reconciliation. And as you just saw in the movie clip, also Kevin and his mom 
reunited, a reconciliation. Kevin felt different about his family that Christmas morning than he did just a few days earlier when he wished that they'd all would disappear and go away. He gives her a great big hug, and there is a family reunited. Even Buzz, his brother, is reunited, and there is joy on Christmas morning. Peace, reconciliation, that is the Christmas story because Christmas is about Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 tells us that a son will be born to us. And one of the titles of the son is Prince of Peace. But in our world, we long for the ceasing of conflict, of literal war. We want literal peace. We don't want the fighting, the bullets flying, the bombs dropping. And even in our personal lives, we want to have a peace of mind. So many people are in turmoil. They're struggling. They're frantic and chaotic in their mind. And even like Kevin and Old Man Marley, we have relationships that are broken. And we long for them to be restored. We want the Prince of Peace to bring peace to our world, to our relationships, to our minds, and our soul. And we look around and often we do not see it and we do not find it. And why is that? I know this may be a little bit corny, and I know it's like a bumper sticker that you proclaim and people maybe laugh at it, but there is great truth in this graphic. No Jesus, no peace. Of course the words N-O and K-N-O-W sound alike. If you do not know Jesus, there is no peace. But if you do know him, there is. Because, again, he is the prince of peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this very simply. He is our peace. Paul is referring to Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So let me give you a little historical background because who is Paul talking about? Who are these two groups and what's this wall of hostility? What he's referring to are two groups in his day, the Jews and the Gentiles. Of, of course, the Jews were descendants of Abraham and, and Jesus was a Jew and, and all the prophets were a Jew and, and the saints of the Old Testament, they were Jewish. But the, anybody who was not Jewish was a Gentile. And in fact, in Jerusalem, where this great temple was, that still was standing at the time Paul was writing this letter, where Solomon's temple had been built, King Herod had expanded it and made it bigger and grander. But you'll notice in this picture, there was a literal wall that divided the Jewish people from all the rest. So think about it, if you wanted to go worship God, where would you think you'd go in these days? You'd go to the temple. But if you weren't a Jew, you couldn't get in there. You weren't allowed to go where the priests were. You weren't allowed to go where the altar was to offer a sacrifice. You weren't allowed to go there. There was a wall that divided Jews from Gentiles, literally. So try to imagine that. Could you imagine if we had our church sanctuary building here, and then we had a big fence around it. And if anybody tried to go through the fence, over the fence, under the fence, who was not a church member, we would shoot them, kill them. I mean, can you imagine that? 
I mean, that, that is what happened. It, that wall had this sign. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? That nations and, and millions of people were not allowed access to the temple. Again try, again, try to imagine us trying to keep people from coming to church. We are always trying to, to have people come to church. You know, If we did have a fence, we'd be helping them over, and chucking them over and helping them over and knocking it down. We want them here. But could you imagine saying no? Show me your membership card or you're not getting in. That was the hostility. If you're willing to kill someone because they're an outsider, then that's obviously some hostility. That's some uh, enmity. You are enemies. And that's what Paul is saying. He is saying that the Jews and the Gentiles were enemies. The Jews especially hated Gentiles, saw them as uh, almost unhuman, almost like dogs. They ridiculed them, thought they didn't know anything, thought they were far from God and were just ignorant and would not have anything to do with them. They were enemies. But the reality is that both of them were enemies of God. Now, I know when you think about being an enemy of God, you say, well, pastor, that would never describe me. I've never been God's enemy. And I understand what you're saying. You probably have never had a time in your life where you are shaking your fist at God and you shout hate at God and you are looking for ways to uh, directly and purposefully uh, bring uh, people away from God and you uh, despise Him and you, you know, every fiber of your body just riles against Him. And you, if you had a chance, you would just knock God out of the universe and you would say, good riddance. Okay, I'm sure you have never felt that in your life. And I would say even most people who aren't Christians, who aren't believers, aren't hostile to God. Most of them are just apathetic towards God. They just think he doesn't exist, or if he exists, they don't care. Or if he exists, well, then he's just the man upstairs, and he's a big grandfather, and he'll, if, if there's an afterlife, he'll welcome me in, or whatever. I mean, that's their attitude. It's not this animosity and hatred, and I'm going to get God and... and Nothing like that. So how can you say that anyone really is an enemy of God? How would I tell you that you're an enemy of God? How could I be an enemy of God? Well, Paul tells us why we were enemies of God. You see, God loves us, yes. And even we teach children, Jesus loves me. And I remember the VeggieTale movies always said to children... God made you and he loves you very much. Perfect message for children. Very truthful. Very meaningful. But even children are enemies of God. Even though God loves them very much. Because God is also holy. And he's perfect. And every single one of us, even when we were a child, before we met Jesus... We were sinners, and God was holy. And that put a barrier between us and God. That made us enemies of God, even though he loved us very much. Paul uses these phrases to describe what it's like to be out of God's family. 
He said of the Gentiles, without the Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the promises that God had made to the Jews. So that was true of Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't know what the Old Testament taught. They didn't have the prophets. They didn't have the promises made to them from God. They didn't have any of that. But more than that, look at these last three phrases. Without hope, without God, and far away from God. Listen again. Without hope, without God, and even worse, far away from Him. That is a depressing place to be. Can you even imagine without hope, without God, and far from Him? Yet that's where everyone is before they meet Jesus. That's where you were. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus, that's where you are right now. And that makes you an enemy of God. And this was true of Jews and Gentiles, both enemies of God. But this is what Christmas is all about. Remember the shepherds saw an angel who told them that today in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then that angel was joined by a heavenly host of angels. And this is what they said. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. The angel message was a Savior is bringing peace. A Savior is coming to reconcile people to God. A Savior is coming to tear down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, but more than that, between people and God. A Savior who is coming to bring peace because He is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.17 says, When the Messiah came, He proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Ephesians 2, 16 says, Jesus did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. So this is what Jesus did. God is holy. We were his enemies because we're not holy. But God loves us. So he sent Jesus, our Savior, to die for us to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin and be raised again to life. And because of that, then we are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. And Jesus has torn down all the barriers and made one body. Now, in the church, there is no longer Jew and Gentile. There is no longer uh, men and women are poor and rich. Paul says slave are free. You see, there's one body now. There's no barriers between us so that we all can be one family, one body of Christ, the church. And when there's one family, when there's one body, then there is peace. Peace with each other and peace with God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. That Jesus broke down the wall. 
He created a new body. He reconciled Jews and Gentiles. He proclaimed the good news of peace. And He has given us access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Think about this again. Remember, the Gentiles couldn't go past that wall. They couldn't even get to the temple. The Jews, when they got there, they couldn't get past the veil that was between the one court and the Holy of Holies. There were barriers in the way to get to God. But Jesus tore all those down. There's no more barriers. Now we get to go to the Father directly through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, right to the Father. And so now, just like a little child, we can walk up to our Heavenly Father. We can sit on His lap. We can be embraced by His everlasting arms of love. We can listen to Him. We can learn from Him. We can serve Him. We can obey Him directly with no barriers in the way. And, and so because of that, our life now is completely different than what it was before. Remember, without hope, without God, far from God. But now we are part of the family. And now we're citizens of heaven. If you've ever done any traveling, you know that you cannot leave this country without a passport. And if you want to get into this country, you have to have proof that you live here unless you want to hassle or unless you want to be chased or in prison. And so think about it. Before, we were without God, without hope, without God and far from Him. If we had tried to get to Him, if we had tried to get to heaven, they would have been, uh-uh, you're not getting here. You're not coming in. You don't belong. You're a foreigner. You're outside. You're not a citizen. But now, we go directly to the Father. Now, when our life ends and eternity begins, we go to heaven as citizens. We go to our home. That's where we belong. What a difference. I, mean, I think it's hard for us to imagine the difference because we don't really imagine and know how far away we were from God. But now, how close we are to Him. You also know about family time. Now, I know many of you are very generous to your neighbors and to strangers, but I can imagine Christmas Day is one day of the year that probably anybody else comes to your door and they're asking for something, need something, especially if they want to come in and, and share a meal with you, they want a gift from you. Okay, you're going to say, you're not family, buddy. You go down the street, you go to the next neighbor, and just stay away, this is for family. And family only. And that's what it was like before Jesus. We weren't part of the family. We didn't have the blessings of being in the family, the, the gifts of the family, the, the camaraderie of the family. We didn't have that. But now Paul says we're in the family. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus calls us brothers. So we are brothers with Jesus. Our Heavenly Father is our Father. We are in the family with all the, the rights, with all the privileges, with all the responsibilities. But we're there. And what a difference. We were far from God. Now we're in His house. 
Now we're in his family. And because of that, Paul says, not only are you family, he uses this image of a building. And this building is the church. And this building is growing daily because Jesus is saving more and more every day. And this building is where God lives and where he resides. And I love that because in the Old Testament, God had his presence in this temple, a temple that was in one location, one little place on this planet. But now he is in his church and his church is in every nation, everywhere around the world. He is not in a temple. He is in us personally and in us as a corporate church. This is where God is. This is the house of God. This is the family of God. And those of us who have put our faith in Him, we have that family. So I want you to know this. I know in life there are times when we desperately need peace, when our life is chaotic, when there's turmoil, where there's grief. We want a sense of peace. And we want our relationships right. And we even want our world right. But sometimes we want to find peace by having everything in our life exactly right, exactly chill, exactly where it should be. And then we'll think we'll have peace. That's never going to happen. And you know that. If you've been waiting for that day when everything is right and you can just sit and relax and you say wow there's peace it's not going to happen you're, you're chasing a fantasy you're chasing a fairy tale life is filled with chaos turmoil trouble consequences of sin people who disappoint it's all filled with that and so if you're waiting for that moment you'll never have peace because peace comes from God. It doesn't come from circumstances that are completely right. So I love these verses from Scripture that tell us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is where peace comes from. God is the Father, gives us peace. The Holy Spirit in us produces peace. Jesus says, I give you peace as a gift, and not as the world gives. Because again, peace in the world, you have to have no conflict, you have to have no trouble, you have to have nothing wrong. That's the only way the world can give you peace. But Jesus gives us peace in the midst of trouble and turmoil and grief and sorrow. Too many times we look for peace in the wrong places when peace comes from God. Again, if you don't K-N-O-W, know Jesus. If you don't know him, there's no peace. I encourage you today to be at peace with God, reconciled to God by believing in Jesus. That he died for you, rose again to life, and confessed that you're a sinner. Brother and sister, I want you to know the depth of the peace that we have. Because Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. Uh, in the movie, Home Alone, old man Marley hugs his daughter, granddaughter at the end. 
Kevin hugs his mom. I don't know how it will be when we go to heaven. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I wonder when we get to heaven, if Jesus won't be the first one there to give us that big hug. I do know this. He already has in one sense. Because we were far from Him. But if we believe in Him, we are reconciled to Him. In that moment of faith, He hugged us, brought us in. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. I made you, and I love you very much. He's already done that if you're a believer in Him. Maybe you didn't feel those arms squeeze you <laughs> or audibly hear those words spoken to you, but he did. And we have this hope that one day, I know the Bible tells us this, we will see him face to face. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a big hug involved too. Welcome home. That's where peace is. I just want you to think about this. Those that you love the most, when you do embrace in a hug, think about that for a moment. I don't mean just the people at church. I know you love each other. Those hugs are nice too. I appreciate those. But I mean someone that you really and you deeply love. Think about this for a moment. In that moment, isn't there peace, security, I would dare say all of the problems that you fret about and worry about, in that moment, you don't. Now, maybe you do as soon as you stop hugging, and then you start worrying about them again. But for that moment, in that embrace, there's complete peace. Think about that. And think about the embrace of God. You want peace? You run up to God and you give him a big hug because he's got his arms always there for them. And there you will find peace. Father, we do thank you that you give us peace. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can live this life without the chaos and the turmoil affecting us so that we're frantic and worried and, and on edge. Lord, that's not the life you have called us to live. It's one of peace. So, Lord, I pray for any this morning who don't know you and are looking for that peace. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now that they would believe in you, accept your gift of salvation, and today would be their day of peace. For my brothers and sisters, Lord, I know we're in a busy time of the year, but I know also, Lord, that in the midst of it, there is peace. May, Lord, may you impress upon us how far away we were from you and how you did bring us back to you. And I pray, Lord, in the midst of our lives, each and every day, when that peace eludes us, that we would run to you, God, and embrace you and feel the peace, know the peace 
experience your presence in our lives. So I pray especially for those, Lord, this morning who desperately need your peace. In this moment of response, Lord, I pray they would call out to you. I pray they would run to you. I pray that they would embrace you. And I pray, Lord, that we would do so right now. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.